The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. So, on this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, what do you know? It's a question in its own way raised in all of our readings for today. In our first reading, Moses knows that listening to the world's true prophets, those who truly speak the true word of God, and paying attention to those true prophets, to what they say and doing what they say, as opposed to listening to the voices of those who love to name the name of God, but whose words are contrary to God's truth, is, Moses says, as important as life and death. He seems to mean that quite literally as in there is life in God and in the desires of God. But there is not life. There is death apart from God. The psalmist knows that the fear of the Lord, that is to say deep, deep respect, reverence, awe in the presence of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. As in there are truths Some of the deepest truths the universe holds, truths, in fact, which hold the universe, which can only even just begun truly to be known by knowing God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul knows that if you happen to be one of the world's know-it-alls, what everyone in the world can actually know for sure about you is that you don't know much at all. For as some of the wisest people I've ever known have told me, the more they know, the more they realize how much they don't know. Paul also knows that when it comes to maturing in the faith, knowledge is a fine thing and is to be sought after surely. But knowledge without love, knowledge that leaves you thinking you're better than others, isn't worth much of anything at all. Knowledge, in that sense, puffs up, he says, while love builds up, he says. He will reach his climax on that point in five more chapters down the road when he writes those words most of us already know, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have not love, I am nothing. In our Gospel reading for today, a group of people 
from the Galilean fishing village of Capernaum know that this Jesus guy who's come on the scene really isn't like any other teacher or rabbi they have ever heard, not just because of what he apparently knows, but because of the way he speaks of what he knows with an authority unlike anyone they've ever known. Of course, there are people you've known who have have something of that, people who, when they are just right in their wheelhouse of expertise, do convey a sense of authority which inspires confidence, inspires people to believe what they say. Dr. Fauci speaking about the COVID virus to me is an example of that. But the wheelhouse in which Jesus spoke with authority that pales, makes Dr. Fauci's authority pale is with an authority that was just way more than that. The wheelhouse Jesus was speaking in with that authority was, was when he was speaking about God and when he, what he called the kingdom of God and the truest and deepest desires of God. And the crowds found that authority with which he said it all to be, Mark says, astounding, amazing, awe-inspiringly awesome. And Mark feels to me like he meant that literally. Finally, a man in the synagogue that day who Mark says has an un clean spirit knows that the reason Jesus exhibits the authority he does is because Jesus is, quote, the Holy One of God, unquote. Note, not a Holy One, but the Holy One of God, the one and only whose holiness is, and I mean this entirely literally, whose holiness is the holiness of God, the Messiah, the Son. It's a fascinating scene as this one with this unclean spirit turns out to be the one in this story prophesying, if you will, for he's the one speaking the honest-to-God truth. One of the guys at our Tuesday morning men's Bible study this past week, when we were looking at this text, said, how often do you think those whom we label as unclean are in fact those whose voices we need to hear and hear God's truth from? Great question. Except then what? Except then Jesus didn't applaud the fact that the man with the unclean spirit did know who he was. He rebuked him. He told him to be quiet about who he was. And then he told the spirit, and this is not literally what I actually think he said, but I do think it's pretty close essentially to what he said, given the fact that in some other scenes in the synoptics, including in Luke's scene of this very um, scene, his telling of this very scene, the spirit is referred to not as unclean, but rather as something demonic. Which leaves me thinking that what Jesus essentially, if not literally, told the spirit after shutting it out, shutting it up, was to get the hell out of here. Get all the hell out of here. Get it out of here. For the second week in a row, we are introduced here to a unique kind of theme in Mark's gospel. Last week you learned that one thing kind of unique to him was that in his storytelling, many things he says happen immediately, as if there's an urgency to it. I told you last week my belief is that that urgency is about the cross, his mission of all missions. Today we encounter another something kind of unique, not entirely, but, but uh, Mark's way more emphasis on this than others, 
what some people, some scholars refer to as the theme or the motif of the messianic secret. Because again and again in Mark's gospel, when somebody or other does say that Jesus is the Messiah, what Jesus then says is keep it a secret. Don't tell everybody. What's up with that? Well, again, there are different opinions out there. Here's mine. It's all about the cross again. For Mark absolutely, of course, completely wants us to know, doesn't want it to be a secret, who exactly Jesus is. And so Mark 1, verse 1, the very first words he writes out of the gate are this, the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No secret what Mark wants his readers to know from the very beginning. But every single time in his ensuing telling of the story of the good news of the Son of God, when someone does figure out and then say out loud that that's who Jesus is, every time Jesus does say, don't say that. Keep it a secret because I think this. You can't share the gospel. You can't share the good news in its awesome entirety without the cross. For without the cross, he may be the best preacher or teacher in the world, but with no cross, that's all he is. With the cross, on the cross, beyond the cross, beyond the grave at last, what he is is the savior of the world. And so until the cross, he commands silence about who he is. Because without the cross, people would inevitably convolute messianic claims into a call to rally the troops and save the nation by defeating Rome in a military battle. We need the cross. Be quiet until the cross so that you then, he says, can know and tell that this Messiah, the Messiah, came in the battle of all battles to defeat sin and its only begotten death. He rebukes, in Mark, he always rebukes those who try to proclaim a gospel with no cross. I think of that every time I hear one of today's multimillionaire prosperity gospel preachers whose good news is that God wants you to be a multimillionaire too. I hear that and I am, I am kind of sure that I can hear Jesus' rebuke. Be silent. Stop saying that. There's no cross in it. Back to the story and this encounter now with a man who, says Mark, has, quote, an unclean spirit, unclean. Quote, what, what's up with that, do you think? The word unclean within the language of Judaism would mean that he was unfit to be in the presence of God and in the presence of others worshiping God until he got cleaned up by going through the proper religious rituals of cleansing, rituals which apparently were apparently ineffective for him. The unclean spirit seemed, seemed to own him. But though he therefore wasn't supposed to be in that synagogue with people who were clean, 
he found his way there anyway, uncleanness and all. And not even wearing a mask, and nobody took his temperature at the door or asked him if he'd been showing any recent symptoms of spiritual uncleanness. He just found his way in, hoping nobody would recognize who he was and what he was. And why did he come? I mean, it was risky. But he took the risk because, remember, he's the one who knew who Jesus was. And knowing that, he approached him, uncleanness and all. I'm thinking of the times I, possibly many of us, have found our way into worship, hoping nobody recognizes how unclean we sometimes feel or sometimes even know that we are. It's not a time to hide. It's a time to go to Jesus. It occurred to me this week when the man says, or maybe the Spirit says, it's hard to know who's talking, Ashley. Maybe somebody, maybe everybody said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? It occurs to me this week that in its own way, that's a prayer for help, right? A prayer for healing, right? Because there are times, right, when the healing we need needs something within us to be destroyed. An unclean and malignant tumor, for example. Or though we aren't used to using this language for it, sometimes what we need in order to be healed is for an unclean and malignant spirit within us to be destroyed, to be cast out of us. Perhaps it's a spirit of fear or a spirit of prejudice or a spirit of anger or a spirit of anxiety or a spirit of despair or a spirit of unforgiveness or any other number of things within us that are not clean for they are not precisely not of God and they are not the desire of God for us and yet try as we might we just can't seem to change the way it or perhaps own us we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves and so sometimes in our relationships with others we speak but it is in fact not the not of God's spirit within us who's actually doing the speaking as in the times I've said something I've later regretted to my wife or a co-worker or someone but in some ways what was actually doing the speaking was a spirit of anger within me sometimes maybe speaking in union with unison with a spirit of fear within me or maybe a spirit of a nursed grudge within me maybe a good prayer a good prayer to pray with those spirits if you will is precisely the prayer I know who you are Jesus please destroy cast out the spirit within me that is distracting me from your spirit and from your ways. Which takes me to my way of, of, of reading scenes like this one with this whole seemingly primitive language of confrontations between Jesus and spirits that the Bible writers anyway, the gospel writers tell us are unclean 
and or demonic. Some of it, some of it I'm quite sure is in fact primitive. Because we do know things now that the gospel writers didn't know then. For the prevailing worldview then was that if someone had, for example, an epileptic seizure, it was because they were possessed, they were owned, they were under the influence of an unclean or demonic spirit. But we now know other than that about, for example, epilepsy, which is why we don't take an epileptic to an exorcist, we take them to a doctor. But we might, of course, in some cases of episodes of one sort or another, take them to a therapist or a psychiatrist or a pastor, too, because we do know that physical health and emotional health and social health and spiritual health are not, in fact, completely unrelated things, which, by the way, is something Scripture absolutely knows as well. That said, I don't understand it, but I don't think it is primitive. I think it's kind of apparent that an overall worldview the Bible does hold was and is ever true. And that is that the battle between what is of God and what isn't is not a battle fought only upon the turf of this earth between warring parties of flesh and blood, but rather that also in ways that I, I don't need to understand as widely hold true, there are battles between what is good and what is evil, what is love and what is hate, what is life and what is death, what is of God and what absolutely isn't, which are not fought in the realms of the earthly, but rather in the realms of the spirit. I say that, of course, um, not with proof, but with this observation. Not ever, every whisper that I ever hear whispering to me, not every spirit, if you will, which sometimes seems to want to move in with my spirit, is necessarily a whisper or a spirit, if you will, that is of God. And I also want to point to the number of times many of us uh, have probably said some version or other of this. I am, I could use some prayers. I'm really battling some demons right now. Do you ever say that? What do you mean exactly when you say that? I say that. What do I mean when I say that? As I said, what I think I mean is that not every whisperer my spirit has ever heard whispering my name has been whispering to me in the name of Jesus. Keep in mind that Jesus' public ministry began when he was blessed and baptized with the Holy Spirit as he heard the promise, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now contrast that with this man, with this unclean spirit, which is absolutely assuredly not telling him that he is beloved of God or God-pleasing in any way. And then think of the spirits, if you will, whose whispers or maybe even shouts or maybe even haunting silences you sometimes hear within you, but they are not blessing you.
They are cursing you. They are not building you up. They are tearing you down. They are not encouraging. They are discouraging. They do not promote love but hate. They do not draw us together but split us apart. Final thing. It seems to me that it is not just individuals but communities, nations even, that can be possessed, owned, collectively, by spirits that are unclean. Racism is an unclean spirit. Homophobia is an unclean spirit. Greed is an unclean spirit. Selfishness is an unclean spirit. God bless us, but hell with the rest of the world, hell with people who some way or other aren't like us, is an unclean spirit. Do unto Mother Earth whatever you can to take whatever you can from her, no matter what it costs her or what it costs those who will come after us, is an unclean spirit. I could go on. You could too. There are spirits that need to be battled, destroyed, finally, for us as individuals, as a nation, as a world, to be healed. To paraphrase an unlikely prophet, Jesus, the Holy One of God, we know who you are. Heal us and make us yours holy. And as yours, make us holy in our deeds, in our words, in our spirits. Amen.